a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights, and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast. My name's Kim Hamer, and I'm probably not the voice you expected to hear introducing this episode if you're a regular listener of Mastering the Game of Life. The tables have been turned. I have been uh, a multi-time guest of our guest today, and I've decided to take over the reins and let him have a turn in the chair of being the guest. So, Welcome to Paul Lowe. How are you, Paul? Thanks for joining us. Um, how am I? What a great question. Um, <laughs> feeling strange. Two simple words. Feeling strange. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it leads us quite nicely into the, into the topic we're going to talk about today. So we, we just had a little chat off air, as we normally do uh, when we, uh, before we come on. And we talked about transition hmm. and our, our title for this is when you know it's time to let it go. So I'm going to pass the baton over to you to start off with, Paul. You're going through a number of transitions um, in your life and business right now. So why don't you get the ball rolling and start where you'd like to start? Hmm. Okay. Well, there's a lot for me to go out there. Um, Yes, I think it's fair to say, OK, let's start from a broad generic perspective that when we look at Robbins as six human needs and, and listeners know, um, you know, that I'm a great advocate of those because, you know, not as it's some nice fancy theory and framework, it actually really is the basis, the infrastructure of which we can change our lives once we know how to, you know, to play play within those rules. Um so there's a train of thought that says that the more uncertainty we can embrace in our lives, obviously uncertainty or variety being one of those six needs, the greater our successes. And that's something I learned a long time ago. And when I put that to the test and over weeks, in, in fact, if not months of, you know, OK, so how's this played out in my life? Never mind the theory. Does this really hold water? And... Actually, Kim, when you think about it, it's very simple because if you go into an area where you've never been before, the chances are you're going to find something new there that you wasn't aware of. Now, that's such an obvious statement, but it also brings in the cliche, if we always did what we always done, we always get what we always got. The same old, same old, same old. So where my life's always been at, not just um, you know, presently, but it's okay. I used to have a saying, I'm going to pull the house down because I'm not happy with it in search of that betterment. Because I think when you, 
when you have that understanding that, you know, the part you play in the game of life on a world stage, or it doesn't matter what the pitch is, where the proverbial pitch is, um, on any of the many pitches in the world, you have a responsibility to lead from the front. That's what leaders do, lead from the front. So I've been very, very, very mindful of my responsibility in that respect for more years than I care to remember. Even when I was at the bow to my drinking and, you know, spending nights in ditches and sabotaging and just throwing everything away, um, I still paradoxically had that insight, that knowledge, that that knowing of... Yeah, there's more to it than this. And in in I wouldn't say, well, in those days, I did used to say in pursuit of perfection. I've since learned that perfection is a massive, massive dark hole waiting for us to go down. It doesn't exist. It really doesn't exist. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a general intro. D does that sort of lay a platform, Kim? Or do you want me to go, uh, you know, be a bit more specific? That's all right. We'll get to the specifics in a minute, Mr. Lowe. I thought we might. Um, <laughs> I thought we might. Somehow. But I just thought I'd pick you up on that. On the you said at the end there about um, in the pursuit of being perfect, and I think that's a trap that many of us uh, can relate to. Um, in all sorts of areas of life, either we want ourselves to be, per be perfect or we're waiting for the circumstances to be perfect before we'll move, before we'll take action. And I think that's something I've certainly um, seen and experienced, uh, you know, how when's, when's the time to go? How per what, like, what does perfect really look like? And is perfect just really you know, a story we make up about the way we expect life to be. So what do you think about perfection in that sense? I think you've hit it on the head with you, the second part of what you said there, Kim. It's a, it's a story we make up. For me and certainly the countless people I've spoken to around this, this pursuit of perfection is born out of a very strong insecurity. We're in pursuit of something that the, we can tell our mind then that I've got this, this is perfect it's ticking a box. It's playing a trick on our own mind. And that's fine so long as we know the game we're playing. But I think it's fair to say, and, and, you know, and certainly for decades, I didn't. You know, I was at the mercy of the tricks my mind was playing on me. And that drove me into some very, very dark, desperate places where fear resided, presided. You know, it was king. And it just, it come very, very close to destroying me on more than one occasion. So mm, there's this whole thing around, you know, just be... There was a, There's an old... Um, I forget what it's from. Uh, Beware the Ides of March. I always remember that from, from school uh, many, many moons ago. And mm. I've put my own spin on that. Beware the Ides of Perfection. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely, completely agree with you on that. It's just you know, that, that whole story about how we should be, and we've talked about should a fair bit mm. um, across our various conversations. Uh, but what I'm also thinking about is that when we're pursuing something, is that I, I'm thinking about that in the sense of transition. So is is the, the drive to pursue something the, the thing that starts transition, do you think? Or is it something else? Great question. 
so it's lovely to ask them. Yeah, I'm sure. Pressure free is um, <laughs> is an hyphenated word that comes to mind. Um, I think whatever is in in us, Kim, and we're all different. I mean, there's no right, there's no wrong. We're all different. I can obviously only take responsibility for myself, and as individuals, that's all we can ever do. You know, what the outside world thinks, says, does, hears and chooses, to, that's entirely up to them. There's, there's a saying, isn't there? What, what the rest of the world think of me is none of my business. And, and I really do agree mm. with that. But there again, that traps us in because I'm not saying it's directly attributed to perfection. Maybe it is. I mean, I've not really kind of gone to the nth degree on it. But this this perfection of I want to be liked, I want to be loved. You know, I've got to be the star of the show. You know, that need for significance, one of the other six needs. But I think when we let go of all that and actually come to terms with who we are and say, all I really need in this world is me. That's it. Now, that's that's, you know, that's a sensationalist statement. Oh, Paul, it's all right for you. Your kids are grown up, you know, blah, blah, blah. You this, you that and you the other. Yeah, OK, I hear you. But when... I look at the transitions, Kim, that I've made in my life, um, and some of them have been enforced because they've been literally life and death decisions. Um, do you know, I wouldn't change any of them. And what I realise now, looking back, and obviously I've got the benefit of, you know, a few years' experience to, you know, to, to be able to make this these assertions and these claims, um, and, and a lot of the, you know, the key personal development or peak performance practitioners in the world run parallel. But all we have is ourselves. And think about that, you know, it's that old oxygen mask on the plane first scenario, isn't it? Put your mask on first. And I've heard so many people know I've got two kids. My kids come first. Well, actually, just think about this very, very simply. Without a you being the best you can be, you haven't got anything to give to your two kids or your spouse or or whatever the dynamic. There's nothing. So I think we've got a personal responsibility to be the very best we can be and make the necessary changes and be honest with ourselves. And then we've got something to give on our terms. And it's not a control thing. It's not an egotistical control thing. It's that inner that inner knowing that um, that self-love of being able to give to the right people for the right reasons because if we don't stand for something we'll fall for everything yes it's a it's an oldie but a goodie isn't it mm. that one mm. if you don't stand for anything you'll fall for everything i also really like um the saying you cannot give what you do not have um, and I'm also a big advocate of the lessons I learned in life were not from what people told me, they're from what I saw. Mm. So if, you think, if we think about um, how we show up in the world, how other people see us, and I know we said what other people think of us is none of our business, but it's incumbent upon us to be the best we can be because then how on earth do we make space for other people to do the same? Yeah, I'm not saying that that's an easy transition because when we look at, you know, yet again, one of the other, the four core human needs, the fourth one, love and connection, you know, we're human beings, we're vulnerable, we're fallible, we want to be loved, we want to be liked. You know, I think some of, let's go back to caveman time, some of the real basic traits, and yes, technology's advanced, you know, over the, 
over a couple of thousand in years or what have you. But, you know, that's still that basic, I won't say basic instinct. It conjures up um, connotations of a certain film, doesn't it? Well, I've already said yes. it. So why did I say I'm not going to say it when I've already said it? <laughs> but anyway, we'll move on. Yes. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> listeners, it's not quite as easy being in the hot seat here as what you might think. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite enjoying being the host. I think it's fabulous. I might have to push you out of a host chair again sometime soon. Yeah. Paul? <laughs> yeah watch this space. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I've lost my thread now. <laughs> yeah. Well, shall we, shall we start another one? Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. So I was just going to, you know, ask you a little bit more about um, some of the transitions you're going through at the moment. So, um, you know, in your business, in your your life, you're, you know, you're moving countries soon, all of that sort of thing. So um, why don't you take us through a little bit about what you're um, going through now um, and some of the transitions you're making that are in, that are sort of forefront for you it's an absolute radical approach you know i alluded to earlier on kim about uh, what i termed you know being prepared to the, pull the house down and, and it's something that i've done throughout my life you know taking tough decisions when you know inside uh, and people think you're crazy uh, for upsetting the status quo but when you know that something is not right or it's come to the end of its term or whatever whatever it is then it's about having that courage to say, do you know what, in this human form, I mean, you know, let's part the spiritual side of things. That's another conversation altogether. But in this human form, as we know it, you know, the proverbial three score 10, 70 years, which makes it sound like a young kid these days. I mean, you know, growing up as a child, you know, three score 10, when you get to 70, you'll have had your pension for five or 10 years. And then, you know, and it's like 70 nowadays. It's like, what age is that? Just, you know, I'm just starting to grow up, I suppose. Um, although, Kim, I would, I, you know, at the risk of upsetting uh, our listeners, I would say that I am told incessantly by... Um, what I call Venusians, to quote John Gray, ladies, that men never grow up. But that's, you know, we, we won't go down that thread. See, the beauty of this listeners being this other side of the fence is I can really, I can just flirt with all these different concepts that uh, that Kim's put into. And, I, and you can see how I'm flying off at tangents. So, Kim, you're going to have to keep me really nailed here because I just want to tell the world about everything and anything. But going back to your question, seriously... So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the specifics I think that would be great to share with listeners, what, you know, as much as you're, you're ready to share, but I think um, hearing some of the specifics of um, what you've decided and your, you know, the next couple of months ahead. Yeah, well, I've set an intention. Um, I don't create rigid goals. I set intentions and I throw metaphoric darts towards a board to see what lands. I put feelers out. I set a strong intention. I take action to see what lands. And the reason I do that is um, I'm not attached to the outcome. Because I think when you make definite rigid plans, isn't it true for all of us that life and you know human nature's got an uncanny habit of saying, I've got that in store for you. You know, you're not going back to this city or you're not going to that part of the UK. And you know, and I'm, I'm even going to throw this in, Kim. My plan to go to the UK may not even materialise. I don't Ooh. know. I'm focused on that in as much that I'm taking action and I'm asking the right people. Um, the right questions 
we'll see what what which one of those metaphoric darts lands on the board. And because I'm a great believer that, you know, this is the epitome of faith. So when we talk about transitioning and taking big decisions, uh, which most people think I'm absolutely crazy for doing, that's fine. But I have the faith to know that it's right intellectually and rationalize it. It probably I, I can see how it looks crazy. You know, I've been in Spain seven years, got a very nice life. Um, and I've made that decision to give it up and go back to the UK where, you know, obviously I'm originally from and start from scratch. Um, so I've got nothing, you know, my family are there, um, but, you know, they're grown up. They've got their own lives. They're all, you know, fit and well and healthy and safe, which is fantastic. And um, but, yeah, so I'm going back there to um, or I'm going somewhere. Don't know where that will be. Um, we'll see the business you alluded to that as well Um, Mm. that one of the concepts that well actually Kim in 2000 I self-published a book called um, Mastering the Game of Life Halftime Reflections Um, it was done as a joke uh, one of the guys I used to drink with at the time a traveller and um, he bet me because we you know as, as is our way we used to tell stories particularly when we was drunk uh, and they all sounded amazing story. Well, we thought they did. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we used, and, and he said, right, okay, write a book. I bet you didn't write a book. I said, I'll do it on one on one proviso that you buy all thousand copies. Uh, he said, right, <laughs> okay. So it cost me um, two pound to publish, and I sold them for five pound. So I ordered a thousand copies. Anyway, a few weeks went by, well, a few months went by actually, and we was in the pub again, and and it raised because I'd never said anything. I'd just done it, worked under the radar as I call it, and uh, you know we're in one Saturday night or Friday night in the, with the boys, and you know making merry and uh, telling stories and whatever. And he said, "Oh yeah, by the way, um, what happened to this book?" I said, "I'm glad you've mentioned that." Because I'll be around your house at six o'clock in the morning with all these books. Make sure you've got five grand ready. And that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) And he bought them all, didn't he? He did, yeah. I mean, money to Uh him wasn't a problem. But, you know, just an interesting little, you know. So anyway, the the point of that little story, true story, Kim, was that in 2000, I developed something called a concept called mastering the game of life because when I retraced the steps of my own journey and all the big challenges I'd been through from a couple of suicide attempts, you know, addiction, violence, limited, destructive limiting beliefs, sabotaging some beautiful, beautiful women in my life, you know, those relationships with beautiful women because of deservedness issues uh, and not just relationships, but everything in my life, jobs, um, you know, careers, everything i just i just destroyed it because that was what lurked um that was what was running through me so mastering the game of life was born 20 years ago it's interesting now how it's come back into play you know i've flirted with a couple of other ideas and concepts which have always the one golden thread irrespective of the label they've always been heart-centered They've always come from the heart, always, no matter what they've been called or what colour they've been painted. So bringing it up to sort of modern day, um, mastering the game of life now is 
the programs that I offer through coaching and mentoring, uh, the concept, you know, everything I've learned over the years. I've been fortunate to have been mentored by some of the world's uh, top practitioners, as I've already alluded to, and amalgamated that to my own rich experience. In other words, does it work or is it fancy theory? And I've managed mm. to put that to the test with countless other people. And, and under that Mastering the Game of Life philosophy, although, as I say, it's been called many things, raised some serious amounts for, for charities around the world over the years. But I've kind of come full circle now, Kim, to get very focused on, and this is a recent um, um, breakthrough, that in um, November of, of um, 2020, the first Mastering the Game of Life book will be published um, obviously, this podcast is called Mastering the Game of Life. And so this whole essence and out of that is there is a little twinkle in the eye. And it's, you know, if we could use that metaphor of mum and dad thinking about having a new child, there's a new child which is just at this stage, a twinkle in the eye. Watch this space. And the name for that new child is going to be called World Game Changers. And that's from people that are at an advanced stage of mastering the game of life. So, you know, there again, that's quite a transition as well, because after all those years of learning, investments and everything, it's starting to gain some real, real substance now. Paul, just listening to you you talk there, um, you know, it's like this has all come full circle. From a, from 20 years ago, this mm. theme of mastering the game of life has, has been there, but it's not until 20 years on um, in 2020 that that you f it feels like you're really grounding yourself in it. So I'm wondering whether um, it was a, a, a sneaking up from behind approach or was there some aha moment when you said, actually either what I'm doing is not enough or that's the thing I need to do or, how, you know, how did that happen? Was it aha or a sneaky, sneaky thing? Probably an amalgamation of the two because when, when I look back at my life from a very, very, very early age, you know, from that attempted suicide at 13 and a half, I made a decision or actually the truth of the matter is that decision was made for me from a higher power because something very profound happened on that Saturday night when that uh, took place. And, and I've not publicised it. I, in fact, I don't think I've ever actually put this out on air. Um, you know, with, mm. But what happened was I went to a... Um, I come from a sort of inner-city council estate which adjoined a local mining area. And there was some caves where the coal lorries used to go through called Dicky Dido's. That was what we called... That was a nickname, what we called, as locals called it. And I ran away there. And it was the 23rd of March, 1974, to be precise. And with one intention, to end it, because I couldn't cope. And uh, I'd put all my beliefs in a football team that had lost two games back to back. And that was my breaking point. Because my home domestic life was in tatters because of the behaviour of uh, what I wrote about as the beast, a.k.a. stepfather, um, I, could, I needed something to believe in. And the football team gave me that. But when they lost two very critical games back-to-back -back in the space of three days, that was it. It's like betrayal, anger, frustration, didn't even touch it. And so it's like, if you're going to betray me now, I've got nothing to live for. 
and I was lend it. And that's how I was thinking at the time. And at 13 and a half, I was already addicted to drink. I was embroiled in violence because that's what I'd been taught from the age of eight onwards. So it's like, no, this, you know, this is it. So I went to Dickie Dido's and I took a razor blade ready to, um, to end it all. And I looked at my watch and it was five past seven in the evening and something happened and that's it'll stick with me i mean i'm not attached to the story as such kim it's got no emotional hold over me anymore mm. um but it'll stick with me forever because as i was at the back of this kind of mini cave type scenario i'd got my back i was leaning against the, the cave wall the uh so there was nobody in there with me there was nobody behind me but i got pushed forward and I went flying onto the floor and I did something that I hadn't done for years. I just broke down and sobbed for what seemed like an eternity. And I sobbed and that released because I'd been conditioned that big boys don't cry. Only mm. girls cry and all this kind of stereo uh, mm. typical stuff. So anyway, after, a, you know, however long it was, I don't know, a few minutes, five minutes, whatever it was, I got up and I felt something within me was very, very different. Now, in later years, I've rationalised it as what we now know or what the world probably knows is fight, flight or freeze. And what I vowed in that moment came in a very, very primitive way was right from now on I fight for the rest of my life and that was all that was going through my you know I will never run again I'll never freeze again even if it costs me my life I will fight because I'd been prepared to take my own life but what was interesting Kim when I looked for that razor blade there's nowhere to be found ah it's a transition of sorts, isn't it? It was a very, for me, a very deep tr uh, spiritual transition. To, mm. And that's happened. My life's been saved, uh, well, certainly been saved once after that. And something very profound happened a third time where there's just, let's say, been an intervention from a higher power. Mm. Um, mm. I don't talk very much about my faith or, or you know, higher power. Um, I usually refer to it as source, which is an umbrella, because I believe that that intimate relationship that we have, whether that's God, whether that's consciousness, awareness, higher power, source, that's unique and intimate for each and every one of us. And there is no right and there is no wrong. And so, yeah, so that happened. That was a very, very um, big transition in my life at the age of 13 and a half. Wow. That is quite a story. I want to. I really want to thank you for sharing that with me and and with listeners, as well. So if I ask you this question, Paul, um, we've talked a lot about transition. I mean, you know, particularly that very pivotal one there, and also some of the ones throughout your life, um, the current ones where you're transitioning towards something, but not attached to whatever the end is. Mm. So what have you learned from, from those things that you would say to listeners who are, who are potentially just facing uh, maybe choices of their own, um, feelings like you said um, that in speaking from our hearts, it just wasn't enough 
you needed something else. So what have you learned that's helped you deal with those kinds of transitions that you think listeners could take away and, and, and use for themselves? It's having that, I suppose, that courage or that resilience, Kim, to, you know, to know, you know, don't get tricked and conned by your own mind. Don't. Mm -hmm. I often say to people, what's the key part of you? What, what, you know, as you understand it? Oh, my mind. Right, okay. So is your little finger, your left finger, you? No, it's a part of me. What about your right knee? No, it's a part of me. What about your, you know, your eyes? No, a vital part of me. And I'll go around the body, you know, and say, well, look at the consistency of the answers there. Every single one of them was no, but they're a part of me. And your mind is exactly the same. But we're conditioned from a very, very early age, Kim, to think that our mind is king or queen. And, and it's not. It's like a supercomputer. It's there. You know, if we can you imagine yourself as some, you know, being a separate being and observe this mind and its tricks because it's a very, very simple mechanism. It's a very profound mechanism. You know, obviously, you know, the create, once we allow that creativity, and that's why I call it a supercomputer, so long as we know how to use it and it doesn't use us, I call that tail wagging dog. Never allow the tail to wag the dog. And that's what we let do with our minds. So for me, and I don't really like the word control, but it's having that awareness to take back that control and say to the mind, listen, my friend, and, you know, and play with it, you know, play with the mind, have, have games with it, um, because it will lead us down. We've mentioned perfection at the top of this conversation. That's that's a classic. Oh, Paul, you've got to get perfect. You know, I went through this phase of, you know, where education is king. Uh, I ended up getting pieces of paper out of it, master's degree. Great. All that was doing, Kim, was masquerading my own insecurity. Because look at me, I've got a nice fancy piece of paper. And when I look back of my, the years that, you know, I've done great things, even my charitable work, which is, I think is fair in anybody's language to say, it's been very significant. If I'm honest about it, in the early years, it was only about me and my significance, because inside... I, I didn't have that self-love. And that is the greatest thing, to go in search. To answer your question, Kim, go have the courage to go on a voyage of discovery to get that self-love. Because when you've got that, and I'm not saying it's easy, but I will say this, it's a damn sight easier than suffering through a lifetime of, it'll get better. Because the reality mm. is, it never does get better. And that gives that door wide, leaves that door wide open for the mind to say, hmm, he or she's not sure it. OK, let's plant some fear. Oh, by the way, Paul, <laughs> you're not good enough. And you know you'll start drinking again one day, don't you? And you know you'll do this. And it's look, you know, it's in your blood. It's in your genes. Your mother was an alcoholic. Your father was an alcoholic. Never mind, you've done 10 years dry. You know you're on borrowed time. The, this, the mind still plays those conversations. And it's like, okay, because I've got a name for him, you see. It's called Shuffle yes. Yep. It's like, okay, Shuffle Fork, that's interesting. Where did you get that tripe from? Who's told you that then? And it's like, don't growl at me. Do you want to stay up and watch the soaps tonight with a bag of crisp and a bottle of pop? Or do you want an early night? 
Now behave yourself. And I do literally have these kind of humorous, flirty kind of conversations with the mind. And it's it's amazing how, you know, how it calms things down. And meditations, you know, is monumental as well because it, it releases those those traps from the past bit by bit by bit. Yeah, I, I was just thinking as you talked um, in that last little bit about how um, when I, I'm not in a, in a, um, a current cycle of doing um, meditation at the moment, but when I have been, the thing that has been extraordinary is that you still have the thoughts but it's like they're just running in front of you like a movie and you get to just go, oh, there's a thought. Oh, there's a thought. Oh, I've been triggered by that thought. Oh, I like that thought. Mm. Like we have thousands and thousands and thousands of them every day, but we could never talk about, we could never say what all of them were. We can only talk about the ones we choose to get attached to. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's what, what you're saying there about shuffle foot. You know, I have a conversation in my brain that goes, well, thanks for sharing that and move on. Mm. you know off you go then but it, it's really it was really interesting to hear you talk about how you deal with shuffle foot as a as a delinquent child perhaps <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean depending what the context is because the other side of of that kim is you know i understand that my you know i think one of the key things that is is very very advantageous is to befriend our mind so you know i suppose it's a bit like having um you know, a sibling or, or whatever, yeah, and just, you know, so, you know, don't try and sort of, you know, destroy it or or, or write it off because it's too strong. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of subconscious feeders that work in there. We can reprogram, but I'm kind of giving the whistle stop uh, um, insight here. And, and so, you know, get the mind on side and, you know, befriend it and say, oh, okay, you're giving me that same old, same old, same old again. Are oh, you shuffle foot? When are you going to stop? Look, if you don't behave, I won't buy you a new comic. You know that, don't you? Now behave, please. <laughs> you know, and it's just about having some fun because I think the other thing in life, Kim, you know, as human beings generally, boy, do we take ourselves too seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and the more serious we get about ourselves, the the least, the less we like each other. <laughs> yeah, and we less we like ourselves. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it is because I mean you can't, you know, you can't have that like and love for other people if you haven't, you know. You said something very interesting earlier on. You know, you can't give what you you don't have. Now that's a fascinating thread. Uh, you could get a full. We could get a full podcast out of that. Um, but this whole, you know, let, let's take it at face value. Um, mm. You can't give what you you don't have. Well, how can you give love and compassion and warmth and happiness and joy to somebody if that's not inside you? You know, if I said, Kim, give me hundred pounds, will you, Paul? I'd love to, but I've only got a pound. You can't give it me, Kim. Give me all your love if you can, please. Paul, I can't because I feel broken. I feel bitter, you know. And in yeah. that context, Kim, we cannot give what we do not have. And perhaps that's a, a nice point to 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 wrap us up on this on this um, inaugural Kim Hamer leading the way podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've now had a turn in the chair, um, so we'll see when I'm able to convince you to to um, get into the guest chair again. But in in closing, sort of this this conversation, which is 
sort of, I guess, your our first as, as turning the tables. It's been a transition. Mm. And I think we've each had to let something go to do that. So what have you had to let go? What's the, the a simple thing you've had to let go um, to make this happen? Well, the, the, the most powerful one is the one I've already shared, that the mind is not king or queen. It's a part mm. of you. It isn't you. And that's, you know, when, when, when we talk about letting go, I mean, I had a conversation once with uh, a gentleman called Jim Britt, who was actually Tony Robbins' as, um, coach and mentor for five years and Jim Rohn's business partner. And I, you know, we had many um, conversations about all aspects of peak performance, life, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you name it. And I said to him, Jim, I said, do you know what? Because I'm always looking for that distillation, that simplicity. And we was talking about we was talking about love and relationships. And I said, mm, those words, Jim, those three important words, I love you. Now, you know, he said, I said, I wonder how many times they've been used in, in the world. And uh, and he said, they're not the most three important words, you know. And I said, really, what are? And like all wise old coaches, mentors, he left me hanging for a bit. So I'd fathom it out myself, which I didn't. He had to put me out of my misery, metaphorically speaking. And he said, Paul, it's very simple. Three simple words, most powerful words in the world let it go and you know other than the one that i've shared kim around this relationship you know everything's relationship based when we talk about business we can't do business unless we've got a relationship with somebody when we talk about love you know externally whether that's for our kids our partners our parents whatever our family friends you know, but the one thing that I then say is like, let it go, is let go of this whole thing about I can't because we have choices. So it's not so much letting go, Kim, about attracting that knowledge, that belief, because beliefs and needs are massive in our world. So I know you asked the question about letting go. So to put it in that context, it's letting go of the belief that you can't ban that from your, vo your vocabulary. Be careful of the words you tell yourself. You know, what we tell ourselves is what we become. There is science to back that up. Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of research to back that up, isn't there? And we're very we can be very cavalier mm. in the words we use and the thoughts we have and then wonder why we end up thinking and feeling the way we do. And so I suppose the, the big one, Kim, is just ask everybody, just ask yourself, listeners, just ask yourself a simple question. Is this particular situation serving me? Or is it time to let it go? Or is it time to let it go? Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on, Paul. Mm. And well, yeah. I mean, I'm getting so excited here, Kim. I don't want you to end, but you know, we will respect. Well, we you. might have to do a yeah. We might have to do another one then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you seem to have quite enjoyed being in the chair, but seriously. So, listeners, I hope you've, um, you know, I, I've done you proud in um, putting Paul in the chair and um, giving him a bit of the uh, proverbial leading round the dance floor, um, which is um, usually his terminology. Thank you, Paul, for being so willing to do it and for sharing so 
openly and for some of those um, very raw stories um, you shared that perhaps listeners haven't heard before. So I want to really thank you for doing that. And thank you for allowing me to take the reins of your of your baby. Mm, well, I think on, uh, I mean, you know, on that note, Kim, I think all that uh, remains to be uh, said now is, Listeners, thank you so much as ever, because without you guys out there, there isn't, there's not really, you know, me and Kim can talk any time around X, Y and Z, as, as I can with many guests. But without you guys out there and, you know, the listeners, you know, what's the point? So uh, there will be others. And um, I think it's fair to, to say at the risk of sounding like I've made a snap judgment that Ms. Hamer Esquire will be back as mine host. I think she's made a really good uh, entertaining dance. Kim's right. I do like that terminology. So uh, thank you, Kim. And um, yeah, um, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that yeah. because I, I feel quite sort of, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Thanks for, thanks for everything, listeners. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 